Right, today we're going to be talking about forensic and cyber psychology with PhD candidate Catherine Friend. Hello, Catherine. Hello, Jeff. Hi, how are you today? I'm doing very well. The sun is very shining outside. It's great. Good, good, good. I should also just mention that this interview is being conducted over the phone, so apologies if we have any uh, issues with the audio. But yeah, so Catherine is a, currently is a PhD candidate in the Waterford Institute of Technology and a lecturer at uh, IADT, the Institute of Art, Design and Technology in Dunleary in Forensic Psychology. Is that correct? That is correct. Good, good. You're a busy, you're a busy person. Absolutely. Keep me out of trouble. Yeah. Okay, so I suppose a good place to start is what is forensic psychology? I think people get very excited when they hear about forensic psychology. I think everyone thinks about kind of law and order and things like that. Yes, absolutely. Hours and hours of criminal minds. Uh, yeah. everyone, the first thing everyone thinks of is offender profiling yeah. and all that. But really, forensic psychology is the crossover between uh, psychology and law. Okay. So areas of victimology, and of course, you know, more well-known the better offender profiling from TV, and understanding if offenders or victims are fit for trial. But it's actually much broader than that. You have areas as far as juvenile offending to online crime, to terrorism and espionage, uh, also education and prevention of crime. And to go back to the courtroom area, even the idea of jury selection, and including expert testimonies of family law cases regarding welfare of children. Okay, so it's very complex. Yes, it's very, very broad. So in terms of the law side of it, how do you, so do you do... When you're studying this, say, do you do forensic psychology and then is half of the degree law or do you, how, do, how does it kind of work like that? So, uh, forensic psychology really connects social psychology and legal elements. Okay. So, it's uh, not really, a, you don't really look at law itself, that's just something I chose to do in my research. Okay. And uh, so, you know, law is socially and culturally constructive, so we always have to keep that in mind, right? Yeah, this is true. So, for example, in Ireland, we drive on the left side of the road, uh, where in some other areas of the world, you drive on the right. So that's socially constructed. Yeah. There are some acts which are considered inherently wrong, like murder. Mm-hmm. So, and then, of course, my area, which is cybercrime, is completely new. Yeah. And that's then, I think, we've socially constructed this new type of crime. There is, unfortunately, no actual forensic course in Ireland. Uh, but we've created a module there in IADT, which is very, very uh, interesting area. Yeah. And you just mentioned there uh, cybercrime. So this is, uh, we're just kind of going to the next uh, area. So it's cyber psychology. Indeed. Okay. So this is another area. So is this uh, underneath forensic psychology or is this an area kind of on its own? Cyber psychology, I would say, is absolutely an area on its own, but it's interlinked into almost everyday life at this stage. Yeah, Absolutely. If you think 10 years ago, we did not have smartphones. I had to wait for the bus and just wait for the bus to turn up. We had no real-time information on our phones. Yeah. And now we have things, technology like Alexa, which you could say is a type of AI. So it's completely evolved. It's in everyday business now as well. So the idea of cyber psychology is the human behavior and thought process involved with the use of technology the creation of technology and also the misuse of technology. So um, so where then do you think at the minute internet technology is kind of in terms of psychology? I think it's growing. We have a cyber psychology master's here in Ireland in IADD, but also in Wolverhampton in the UK. Okay. So it is growing and the aspects of cyber psychology are now making its way into courses. Uh, you know, almost every course will have uh, a 
And I was like, oh, but if you think of like app um, design, social care, computing classes, yeah. design courses, advertising, marketing, it's all online and using technology. Yeah. So it is growing. But here in Ireland, we do have that cyber psychology course, which is, uh, I, I'm quite biased, but I think it's quite good. Yeah. And, and when did that one start, actually? I uh, cannot remember specifically, but I would say within the last 10, I would say give or take 10 years. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we kind of hear a lot at the minute about internet technology, uh, I suppose in terms of like security, freedom of information, censorship, fake news, the usage of data, especially kind of recently with Facebook and things like that. How then is this all kind of affecting psychology? It's like a big question, but do you know, I mean, where where do we even start? That's a good question. So the idea is a major issue is education and awareness. Yeah. I think people by now know that Watford Whispers is not necessarily always accurate. <laughs> so yeah. the idea of surveying, if you're speaking about fake news, for example, yeah. look at multiple different news sources and see if there is a grain of truth, common grain of truth behind all those articles. But of course, keep in mind context. So okay. the idea that perhaps different topics might be more popular than others in fake news health topics are usually quite popular in fake news and keeping in mind the political issues behind some of those stories as well who might be in power who wants to be in power yeah those sorts of issues so it's, it's remaining critical in our society today and always asking questions yeah so um so with psychology then is a lot of um are a lot of the interventions and things then based around education Yes, and that's, I think, most of the battle is getting people to realize quite how pervasive cyber psychology and, by extension, cyber crime is in today's society. It's, it's really in everyday life as well, I would argue. Yeah. And I think by now, you know, our law enforcers and our legislators know what Facebook is, but I don't know if anybody's watched those interviews in the Congress with Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. There were really some quite extraordinary questions asked. Yeah, absolutely. The struggle for someone who is so tech-minded to explain these concepts in a very simple term. For people who have quite a lot of power but didn't seem to know much about the topic they were asking. So that's that's a a large issue and that's really come across in my own research. Is trying to um, educate the public but as well as professional groups. Yeah. like, Like legislators and the judiciary. So you said just there um, earlier that Ireland, it's kind of a forensic isn't as popular and cyber psychology as well with only the one course in uh, IADT. So what about internationally then? Is there one kind of country that's leading the way for this or? Yeah, I'm thinking about this. You know, most of our research comes from the US. Yeah. So, and that's just because of its size, where the money is, it's an English speaking country. Yeah. But uh, a lot of my own research, I would probably follow more UK research, and there's quite a lot there, especially from the cyber psychology course in Wolverhampton. Okay. And there are a number of journals that, if anybody's interested in those areas, they are available, uh, such as the European Cyber Crime, uh, Cyber Criminology Journal, and Social Networking Journal. Okay. So it is, it is coming across there, but the, as well as uh, sort of everywhere else, it's in pockets. There's no central place just for cyber psychology you just see it pop up every here and there okay and you just mentioned their criminology is there a crossover with criminology a lot of the time yeah yeah absolutely i think criminology is more 
more of an, uh, an aspect within forensic psychology. Okay. We do have, I think, as far as I remember, we do have some criminology courses in Ireland. So there, it is there, but not in such an official capacity. So within Ireland, a lot of the forensic work is done by clinical psychologists in the field, and most of the forensic work in Ireland is done within the prison service. Okay. And yeah, yeah, so it's really interesting. But anybody who goes to study forensic psychology abroad and comes back, I don't think it's, it's always quite so successful because we have different needs here culturally and legally than other countries. Okay, and so what then are the needs culturally um, in respect to Ireland? Well, I, I can only speak from my own research. Yeah, so yeah. I've been looking into Irish legislation relating to cybercrime, and part of that I interviewed um, digital security experts from areas like law, law enforcement, and IT. Yeah. And the biggest issues that came across in my research is their education, which I've already spoken about, yeah. but also jurisdiction. So this basically means cybercrime is international. There's really no borders. And although we are part of the European Union and the European Union does have legislation, it does get difficult because you're thinking about physical barriers like just basic distance between countries. Yeah. So if you send information to me, it could go through the internet all over the world through different servers in different countries. So it's really quite complex. And uh, legislation is sort of the first first step in, in tackling these things. And legislation then needs to understand, well, jurisdiction is a massive uh, limit or obstacle within cybercrime. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned the EU there. So what what are the kind of EU legislations and things? Are they kind of doing their job at the minute or do they need to be improved? Um, yeah. Okay, well, I can, uh, I'm just going to speak from the perspective from my, the people that I interviewed. Yeah. We do have uh, the Convention of Cybercrime, but that is yet to be basically legalized in a lot of countries. It's quite bizarre. Okay. But, you know, legislation just takes a long time. That's, a, that's also a problem. Um, we do have European arrest warrants. But again, you're talking about physical barriers of just distance. And we do have things called mutual legal assistance treaties, which is, you know, deals you do with other countries saying, if we have someone you want, we'll give them to you and vice versa. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have that with a country uh, that isn't within the EU, that can get a little bit trickier. Bigger countries like Russia and China could be quite tricky trying to communicate. Um, and then you're talking about these very complex legal systems, which I'm trying to understand myself where, you know, you can do so much domestically and then when it becomes internationally, it becomes much more complex, potentially less efficient and less successful when you're trying to follow up cases like cybercrime because it's so, um, it, it, the, the trail is quite long in some of these cases. So we're just going to talk about now how you got, how you got into um, psychology. So was it something you were always interested in or did you kind of just kind of happen across it? So I, I did find myself being quite interested in the idea of becoming um, a counsellor when I was a teenager. Yeah. I wanted to help people and that was really the only way I think I saw being able to help people yeah. at the time. And then I think it became quite obvious to me that maybe my own personality couldn't, wouldn't really suit the role of a counsellor, but I was still really interested in psychology. And I was uh, looking at psychology courses, and in Ireland we have the Irish Psychological Society of Ireland, which approves psychology courses in Ireland. And I found the IADT course, which had those computer elements, which really interested me. 
and I was lucky enough to be able to take religion as a leaving cert course. And that was the closest thing to psychology, really looking back. I learned about philosophy and how to uh, critically analyze cultural behaviors. And so when I got into psychology, it, it just really, I really took to it. And I was really glad that that was what I, I ended up in at the time. Yeah. So, so you draw some distinctions there between religion at Leavensert and psychology. Yeah. So I know there has been movement over the years to try to get psychology as a Leavensert subject. Okay. But at the moment, for me, in my experience, the, the religion course actually was the closest thing. Yeah. And what do you think of psychology as a leaving cert subject? Oh, well, you're, I'm quite biased. I would love a psychology. I think it's really quite good, especially when we're pushing things like mental health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we open up that, we'll open that up and broaden it to how to uh, approach people who maybe have questions about their mental health or other issues, especially as a teenager. There's a lot going on, especially in leaving cert. Yeah. It's like the Wild West and then people are asking you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah, it's true. And you just want to get to the Friday, you know, it, it is quite a lot. So I really think that teenagers are absolutely capable of understanding and taking on these complex ideas of human behavior and interactions. And that could be really interesting. I think it could be quite good because as we've seen with the, with the recent youth marches, there is a lot of uh, need and want there for to understand and to attain social justice. There is such a broad area there that could be put into our school system. Yeah, I was thinking actually um, prior to this about teaching statistics uh, at Leave Insert, just because statistics are everywhere. And even when we talk about education in relation to fake news and things like that, being able to critically analyze statistics as well would be very beneficial. You know, that is the hidden art side of psychology. You go into psychology and I'd say half of the degree is statistics. Yeah. And people get very frightened about it because, you know, math can be quite difficult to get your head around sometimes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, thinking, so math is, is, is quite abstract in leaving cert. Yeah. But when we talk about statistics and psychology, it's, it's quite applied. It's applied to relevant um, experiments that you've carried out yourself. And I think that really helped understand that uh, that area for me yeah so did you then so did you go straight from secondary school to university then or did you take some time out or i did i went straight in and that suited my my personality that suited my situation yeah it wasn't until i finished my undergrad that i realized it's quite common in other countries around europe to take a year out and so that is absolutely a perfectly okay choice to make for a lot of students um, and as I said, you know, if there's a lot going on when you're in secondary school or high school, depending on where you're listening to this. Um, so taking a year out is an absolutely fine option to take, but I went straight in and it just, it kept the momentum for me. Yeah. And how did you find studying it then at undergraduate level? I think it was great. And I think a lot of that not only has to do with the coursework, your attitude towards it, you have the staff and the college uh, experience. and. IADT is at a very small college. It flies under the radar a lot of the time. But it's a really nice little area in South Dublin. Very small community, and that's also what attracted me to Waterford. It's a very similar small community. And it's really quite nice because um, it is an art college, and a lot of people from where I live actually end up going to IADT to study art as well. So it's a lovely uh, area. Uh, with a lot of di- a lot of diversity in the student population as well, so for me, I really appreciated that student experience. 
Yeah, it's great. Yeah, no, um, IADT is lovely. Um, I was actually looking at going there as well before for art, actually. Oh, if only. Yeah, <laughs> small world. Yeah. Um, so then, so after then, the BA, did you go straight then onto the MSc or did you take some time out then or? Yeah, so the undergraduate is a Bachelor of Science and I actually went straight into the Master's, the Master of Science there. Yeah. In the Master's so- there in Cyber Psychology, correct. Yeah. And it's actually part-time, so I could then take a little bit of a step back and become involved in other areas of college life that I was interested in and other areas. I know, uh, I was still commuting sometimes on the weekends to come home, so I got to become involved in things at home as well. So taking that part-time was a nice option as well. And what's really interesting about part-time courses is you meet a much more diverse body of students. So a lot of them had full-time jobs, a lot of them were in completely different areas like education and advertising, which I hadn't encountered before. So it was really, really, really a fascinating bunch of people. Yeah. And when it was part-time, was it one year or two years? It was two years. Two years. So we actually have classes on Saturdays, which isn't as bad as it sounds. Yeah. And in the first year, we were just talking about statistics. They give extra statistics classes in the first year of the course as well during the week. Okay. What was the course? I mean, studying cyber psychology, what kind of areas did you look at? What did what were, like, were the modules like or what did, what did you focus on? So the cyber psychology master's is very, very similar to the psychology undergraduate they have there in IADT. So the modules were quite similar from my perspective. You have things like a computer-mediated communication, CMC, which is basically understanding how we communicate through technology, uh, different uh, different uh, similarities and differences. You have things like online consumer psychology, which was completely new to me. I had never done anything like that before, so understanding advertising. You have things like design and user experience, so that's going more to the technology side of things. So creating technology for users and understanding um, how to make it a better user experience, because we now understand that you have to, you can make something that's absolutely fantastic, but if it's too difficult to use, people will probably give up on it pretty fast. Yeah. And then you have things like gaming, which sounds like uh, quite frivolous, but it, it's really quite good because we understand a lot of the um, experiences in gaming we, we experience in everyday life, like challenges, feedback, rewards, intrinsic motivation. So it's uh, basically a lot of the subjects are almost like normal psychology subjects, but applied to technology fields. Yeah. So interesting. I think so. Yeah. Uh, um, um, so now, when you're using the internet and things like that, are you kind of super aware of everything and like your behavior, or are you able to still turn that off and scroll through Facebook and things? Oh, no, no. I, uh, I had to try three times to, to try online dating. It was <laughs> such a weird experience. So my master's project was on deception online. So could you tell if someone is lying to you? Oh, God. <laughs> A lot of uh, connection there to the TV show Catfish, if anybody is familiar with it. Yeah. And then my supervisor's area was online dating. Okay. So I was completely in this very weird bubble of being very aware of everything I was doing and saying, and then my own interest in cybercrime and how technology is used for, for not so nice purposes. So it is something I'm very aware of, and it's quite difficult try and explain that to someone else. So if you see something on your, uh, if you go on Facebook and you see someone sharing something very personal about themselves or seeing someone sharing fake news and trying to explain to them 
maybe it's not such a good idea to do that. Um, it, it ends up with quite di- interesting dinner time conversations. <laughs> so, would, so but, would, you, would you actually engage with people then sometimes online when they are spreading fake news and things? I have tried, but I don't don't know if they've been quite successful yet. Yeah. Um, forensic psychology is very, very interesting in that you come across these very um, difficult debates and social debates, and uh, sometimes you just have to really pick your dinner time conversation topics very carefully. And what about then, so the representations, say, of forensic and cyber um, psychology, what do you think the representations are like um, in the wider world? Say, because like at the start of the show there, I, I talked about law and order and things. Do you think that, that there are any good representations of the actual reality of it? Yes. Um, so actually, so the, the, my students got, get to do this uh, project every year where they compare realistic portrayals of forensic psychologists in TV shows and movies. Oh, that's very good. So, you know, they're really watching TV for, for their coursework. Yeah. And uh, so there are some really, really interesting, accurate present, uh, representations, and they're a lot more accurate than you would think. And um, as far as I'm understand, the FBI offers a service to fact check um, shows and um, scripts and books as well. Oh, really? Things like Mind Under and uh, Unabomber, those shows I think are on Netflix. Yeah. Um, so a lot of those are quite, quite interesting. Now, we're also talking about culturally aware things. And as we talked about, culture changes as well. So the older TV shows, I think, would not hold up today's standards at all. They took a lot of liberties. I think um, populations would be decimated in midsummer murders, really, realistically. Yeah. But older shows, uh, shows like the older shows of Law and Order and maybe Cracker, those really much more uh, hard-hitting ones, I think they may not be as accurate, considered as accurate today. Yeah. That sounds like a really interesting... Um part of the module actually yeah yeah no it's, it's really interesting but uh, you have to be so careful because it's not a forensic psychology course yeah you have to be you have to always let your students know if something sensitive is about to come up it really makes you aware of things that you study every day and not something most people can even consider you know uh, quite serious or sensitive topics as well so it really um really makes you very aware of how, what you say and how you say it sometimes yeah. Um, so that was, then we just kind of chat about the master. So how did the PhD come about then? Uh, oh, okay. So my, as I mentioned, my master's idea was Deception Online. And that was my original idea for my undergraduate, believe it or not. Okay. But we, I think very, my, my lecturer was just very good in saying, you know, maybe this is not the, not the time or the place. <laughs> like the idea for my master's. By the time I finished my master's and I got to publish an article on it, it had been five years of studying those authors, which is incredible because I got to go to a conference in Cambridge called Decepticon, which is amazing. Decepticon. Oh God, is that like a Transformers in Cambridge University? Amazing. And I got to see these, like, these authors I'd been studying for five years peak. It was wow. like all my celebrity crushes in one room. <laughs> well. Wow. It was, it was fantastic. It was really good. And I've kept, you know, even kept in contact with some of the people I met there. It's fantastic. So during this conference, I was sitting there trying not to drool, and it suddenly occurred to me, is deception illegal online, and how could you regulate something like that? So I spent almost a year contacting every single person I could even think of all over Ireland, and nobody would say that they knew anything about cybercrime, and that's really still the case today. 
Um, it's nobody wants to officially say we we are the experts in cyber crime. It's quite a difficult field to get a foot into. And I ended up speaking to a lecturer in Trinity by the name of Owen Odell, who does a lot of work in privacy work. Okay. And he recommended I apply for the law masters in UCD, which I applied for and got into. The day I got into that masters, I spoke to two lecturers in Waterford, Dr. Lorraine Bowman Greaves and Dr. Jennifer Kavanagh, and they recommended I come and study in Waterford. Turns out Dr. Jennifer Kavanagh was Owen Odell's PhD student as well. So ah. it's small world, very small world. Very small world. So I ended up taking this uh, PhD research opportunity instead because I could use psychology with and learn about law at the same time. Yeah. And Waterford was great. They let me um, sit in on law classes. That's uh, fantastic. Friends in computing classes. The lecturers there are absolutely wonderful, very friendly, very similar to IADT. Small, very nice, first name basis. Lovely. Really lovely. And I thought that's really how I ended up in this deep, dark hole. We're here with Catherine Friend and we're just going to chat about her current uh, PhD research. So, um, what is the title of your PhD? Well, the title changes every now and again, but okay. it's somewhere around the idea of um, the history and obstacles of cybercrime legislation in Ireland and the or emerging cybercrime cases, as well as looking at uh, perspectives of digital security uh, practitioners. Okay, so the security workers that are currently in the field? Absolutely, yes. Okay, and how far into it are you at the minute? This is my third year. I have decided to drop down to part-time. Okay. Uh, so I will hopefully be finished sometime next year. Okay, so you're kind of coming to a close. Um, let's say tentatively, yes. Okay. <laughs> so what, can you give us a kind of brief overview of the, um, of the PhD? Kind of what studies you've been uh, conducting, things like that? So as I said, my background is not in law, so that was my first step. Yeah. I looked at what legislation we have in Ireland mm -hmm. and what could possibly relate to cybercrime. And I thematically analysed, uh, did a thematic analysis of those offences and came up with two main areas of data access and harmful communications across or legislative provisions. And I'll try to remember their names at the moment. It's the 1991 Criminal Damages Act. Um, the Theft and Fraud Offences Act, I think, from 2001. Okay. And then 15 years later, we had the System Information Bill in 2017, which is now an act. And also the very last one is still going through the houses. And that's the Harmful Communications Bill. That last one, I think people will be more familiar with as the Revenge Porn Bill. Okay. So uh, that's a really, really good act on uh, harassment online. So I looked at that and I, I looked at the offences and compared it to psychological literature in the era, in the area, looking at possible oversights and areas where they did follow through and it didn't match with what the literature is saying. And so then I followed through and I did um, interviews. I basically recruited online, sent a lot of emails and Twitter and LinkedIn posts. And I'm still recruiting for the next few months. I've got 16 interviews so far, which I'm really happy with. And these are people from all fields. So you're looking at legal personnel, law enforcement, and IT. And I ask them questions like, how has legislation evolved in your work? 
what role does it play? What collaboration do you use in your work with other agencies? Where do you see cyber regulations developing? Or any movements at the moment? And those are listed such interesting stories because I have people from so many different, very different backgrounds and fields. And also what I'd like to mention is that um, women in the field of, of forensic psychology and IT are quite represented quite poorly, uh, estimated maybe 20 or 30% by my participants. But I've managed to get a quarter of my participants as female. Wow, well done. I'd be really happy about that, yeah. So we have quite a good representation in Ireland of women in these fields. I just feel like I need to need to mention that. Yeah. That has nothing to do with my research. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I, I could speak all day about the stories that keep me up at night. Yeah. Um, really, really interesting. And then the third part, which changed its focus a few times. So my original idea for this research was to do a public awareness study about cybercrime legislation and to understand the idea of, well, if you know it's illegal, why do you do it? Or if you know it's illegal, why do you still continue to uh, get yourself into situations where you're likely to be victimized? So, for example, why do we still download episodes of Game of Thrones if we know it's illegal? Okay. So, um, and then that, that really changed. And that's the nature of research. It changes all the time. Yeah. And so at the moment, we're hopefully looking at, we're going to do a thematic analysis of the doll debate, of when those pieces of legislation were being debated oh. and created. And I think it might be quite really interesting to compare those results to the themes that have come up in the other two sections. Just there, when you talked about downloading, um, I wonder is there anything in the area done in relation to Germany with downloading? Because over there, it's very much illegal to download things and the police are very active about it. A lot of responsibility is left to internet service providers at the moment I'm given to understand. Um, and of course, internet service providers want to protect the integrity of their clients. They don't want to go and prosecute them all the time. So there is a quite a, a tug of war there. Whose responsibility is it yeah. to, to take for the cost of cybercrime, investigating, prosecuting, extradition costs, and also covering the cost of any losses? The uh, financial losses, the loss of reputation, loss of business. So it's a real quagmire, which is a fantastic word one of my participants used. Um, we just had a conference recently in DCU by the Dublin Law Society on accountability, and I got to present some of my work. And it really is a big issue. Who's responsible and who is accountable for it? Yeah. Is it the government? At the moment, it's suggested that in Ireland, it's really the criminal courts that are left with all this responsibility to, to chase up all these crimes. So there is still yet to be a lot of work done, but unfortunately... Because there are a lot of other issues going on. It's not that it's less important, it's just there's a lot of other stuff going on. It probably won't be dealt with for another while yet. Okay. Um, I just wanted to use a real-life example here um, of the Lewis cyber hack that happened in January. Yes. So, I, I just kind of, from the Irish Times there, I just have that 3,226 users' records had been hacked and the website was down for over two weeks. Um, so when we talk about cybercrime legislation, say for these the people that's hacked the website, is there any kind of prosecution at the minute? Or is there any, like, what happens there? Well, you have to investigate it. And I think the two weeks show just how shows how complicated those investigations are. Yeah. How time how much manpower is really needed. 
So we do have a cybercrime bureau in Ireland. And the numbers may have changed, but the last time I think there was about 16 people in that department. That is good because it was three. Wow. They do a lot of liaison work with groups around Ireland to try to help them tackle cybercrime as well. So a lot of education awareness is, is done by this group as well. So there is legislation to answer your question, but I obviously don't know anything. There would be an ongoing investigation. And these investigations take such a long time. And then as we talked about, um, tracing the, the information across the world through different servers. But you can really see how just as small, you wouldn't really think that would affect that many people. But, you know, these are services we've come to use. And imagine if that was possibly even even more extensive hack of something, a bigger grid across uh, national infrastructure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's also, when I was uh, researching that, they were talking about how with cybercrimes and things, a lot of the emphasis is put on the kind of commercial side of it rather than the crime side of it. So people are trying to get websites put up quick, like they're trying to fix the problem quick, they're kind of trying to rush it through the courts um, rather than actually paying attention to the crime. I would agree with you. A lot of the research that I've looked at, the, as in the research that I've read, a lot of it is commercial and corporate-based. Not a lot of it is more public. What happens to the everyday person when something like this happens? Yeah. And... Uh, Sometimes it does happen that companies or businesses would prefer to just get up as running as fast as possible to protect their customers, to keep their business going, rather than taking the time to take the website down or the the, the document, the database down to really investigate it. And you can you can understand why in some way, but in other ways it doesn't really help because you're not stopping the people. Whereas it has been shown that prevention is better than trying to deal with the fallout later. Um, just, I, I saw on your website the idea of rational choice theory. Ah, yes. Yeah. So that was, um, again, one of my original fantastic ideas for my research. So the idea that reporting is extremely low of cybercrime. This is reflected in my participants and also the research I've read. You're not going to go down to your local police station to report that someone has emailed you claiming to be from Uganda who wants money. Yeah not going to go and tell the guards or the police that someone has called you claiming to be from Russia asking you for your bank account details. You probably wouldn't even bother. Like, yeah. Um, so again, the responsibility then would be put on your internet service provider. You might let your bank know and then it's up to the bank to liaise with the guards or the police. So yeah, the, the, this idea of rational choice theory of whose benefit, what is the cost benefit, uh, you know, it would, it, does it help me in any way? to go and report it. And the original idea I had was uh, maybe understanding if people's awareness of legislation, if they were aware that these things are illegal, would they, how do they view the legislation? How effective do they view the legislation? And then continue to that, what is the likelihood of them reporting as well? So I don't know if I'll get to that part. I mean, my ultimate goal is to save the world. Of course. my supervisors are fantastically patient with me and we've managed to narrow down the scope quite a bit. So, I mean, I have, like you said, so many questions and so many ideas, not enough time or funding to do them all. So, yeah, um, that that is definitely an idea I used to have. I'm not sure if I'll still get to look into it at the moment. Yeah. So what do you think then with the PhD, where is it going to kind of end? Like, what's the end point? 
you know, when you, as you said, when you kind of get towards the end, you sometimes uh, get so lost in your own research. Yeah. People ask you, oh, what do you want to do? When, what do you want to do when you grow up? And you, you can't remember. Yeah. So, um, I suppose I honestly never saw myself in research. I didn't see the point in it because especially in the area of cyber technology and cyber psychology, it moves so fast. And like legislation, publication takes so long as well that by the time you public, uh, publish something, it can be considered out of date. Yeah. So I'm still quite skeptical of research, but it's the area I seem to have found myself in. I know that the European Commission are doing pieces of research across Europe and different countries, and it would be really interesting to get involved in maybe something like that. I imagine that if I did get involved with maybe a local a local organization, it would probably be in research as well. Um, but who knows? Maybe I could write a cyber psychology course for IT Carlo in Wexford. Who knows? And we're back talking with Catherine Friend about forensic and cyber psychology. Um, Catherine is a lecturer and a PhD candidate. So how how, do you, how are you managing that balance at the minute, Catherine? Well, I'm very lucky in that I was covering uh, maternity leave at the time. So that lecturer has since returned and I've been alleviated from my post. But I was still stayed on as a supervisor of research for the undergrad this year. Ah. And last year, I got to supervise the master's students' research as well. So it's been a nice balance, actually. It's very um, fluid and flowed into it very nicely as well. But last year, um, I was going up, I think, two days a week to to Dublin. And, you know, the commute can be tricky. But the, the workload itself, it's so interesting because you're talking about a topic you might be familiar with, but then you're talking to people who are not familiar with the topic. Yeah. And, almost a better way to teach yourself about the area, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I have students asking me, well, why should I bother with my data privacy when nobody cares what band I like on Facebook? Yeah. And that really made me stop and think, how do I explain something that I'm so involved with and quite interested in to someone who maybe has never even considered things like data privacy or what they say on Facebook as being particularly important? or areas like juvenile offending and the more serious issues that you may not really want to bring up at dinner time conversations. Yeah. And you're speaking to students who are adults in their own right, they're not children. But again, this is not a forensic psychology course, it's just a module. So it's, it's really thinking about these things in a very different way than just sitting at, sitting at home with your laptop, writing away. Yeah. And if somebody wanted to get into this field, where do you think that they could start? So if you're in, uh, if you're still in school, in secondary school or high school, I would recommend going straight to your guidance counselor. If, if there um, any, maybe they'll be able to find some information for you. You could contact any of your local colleges or universities. Start with the law departments, and there might be someone there that could help you. Sociology and social care work also have a lot of legal areas in them as well. So it's not just psychology. Um, that has these uh, applied fields. If you're already in college and you're thinking of doing forensic psychology or something like it, start looking into what other masters are available in Ireland. Again, like I said earlier, if you go abroad to study and you come back to Ireland, it might not be, the expectation might be just be a little bit different there. 
okay. to be aware of those things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what about, is there any, any kind of recommended readings or anything to look at or any kind of things on YouTube that people could look up you think that's beneficial? Well, keep your eye on the news, first and, all, first and foremost. I recommend looking at Irish newspapers as well as UK newspapers because you will see every day there is something related to cybercrime in those newspapers. So understanding the public debate around these issues is, is really quite important. Yeah. And then next you, I recommended some journals. There's the European Journal of Cybercriminology. I think that's the title. There are cyber psychology, behavior, and social networking journals. Your local library may be able to help you get access to them. Or if you're already in college, your library probably already has access to them. There is, of course, you could contact Law, the Law Society of Ireland. Um, I am given to understand that they don't have a division related to cybercrime. But the Psychological Society of Ireland have a division of forensic psychology, and they also have a division on media art and cyber psychology. And there are relevant people in those areas. There's also IADT, as well as uh, Wolverhampton, uh, has a cyber psychology course there as well, who also has research as relevant in those fields. So it's a really tricky one. I spent nearly a year trying to find someone, so it is really hard. But if you just keep at it, and if you're really interested, keep going, you will find someone. Yeah, so there are actually like a lot of references there. Um, and just at the start of the show, you were kind of talking about uh, appearing in court and things like that. And what's that like, I suppose, between the UK and Ireland? Say? You said here a lot of clinical psychologists end up kind of working as forensic psychologists. Yeah, that, that was what I was um, given to understand by the forensic division in the Psychological Society of Ireland as well as lecturers and workers in the field. So it's just um, it's just the way that forensic psychology is taught in the different countries. You have your own cultural uh, needs, basically, that may be different from Irish needs as well. So prison work is the main area in Ireland and potentially the UK. So you're talking about um, understanding the needs of uh, the offenders in prison, uh, education as well as uh, fit for trial so whether they are um, you know uh, mentally fit for trial understanding what exactly is going on as well there may be a lot of social issues as well and I think these are big areas of prevention so a massive um, area is trying to prevent the, all these crimes from happening in the first place this means looking at where do these offenders come from what led them to make the choices that they made and why did they choose uh, choose to do crime or did they choose it um, and really understanding their background and um, those are not always easy you have people that may um, have had difficulty with authority before they may have issues of trust they may have learning difficulties they may be completely uh, have every opportunity given them to them in the world and you have no idea why they chose to do what they do so there is a wide variety of needs needed in prison services yes so so there is a very kind of applied nature as well to forensic as well as research yeah there is a lot of crossover with social care work and probation officers as well you can understand there's a lot of interaction there um, and understanding and helping uh, offenders and again this, I would say maybe this is 
one of those topics that you tread very carefully with the idea of rehabilitation and trying to help offenders who have maybe done their time in prison and are coming out and trying to start a life and how to uh, help with those uh, those tasks. Yeah. Right, we're just kind of coming to the end of the time. Um, you were talking just there about recruiting. Do you want to kind of have a shout out there? Oh, uh, okay. So <laughs> if you are in the area of digital security in any field, so including but not limited to legal areas, law enforcement or IT, and you've come across legislation in your role, in your professional role, I would dearly love you to fill out my online survey or to do and to do an interview with me. The interview typically only takes 20, 30 minutes. The survey only takes about five or 10. And you can find me on Twitter as well as my own uh, website, which I think has already been mentioned in the show. And um, I uh, am still recruiting hopefully until the summer and I would love to get as many people as possible. Perfect. Um, yeah, so I'll just say it again there just in case. So the website is actually catherinefriend.wixsite.com and the Twitter is psychfriend, um, which is a great handle, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. It's um, very commonly not understood that it's my real name. Yeah, Catherine Friend. Um, yeah, also like great uh, Twitter content as well. So anybody who's interested, absolutely give that a follow. Um, right, so we're going to leave the things there today. Thanks so much, Catherine. Um, and just again you can follow us on twitter at WMM Radio thanks very much